Welcome to the Shiny Brightly Show. I'm Howard Brown, author, speaker, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, international peacemaker, and yes, two-time stage four cancer patient survivor and advocate. Each episode will take you from resilience to hope and a whole lot more because Shining Brightly does make the world a better place. Be prepared to be inspired. Hello, it's Howard Brown. This is the Shining Brightly Show. I have such an interesting guest. Oh my God, this is incredible. I have Tanya McCready with us today. Tanya, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Howard. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited because um, you're going to teach me a little bit about life, business, family, and sport. Um, Tanya, I, I, I have to tell you, I don't know a lot about um, Iditarod racing, but I'm going to learn today. The audience is going to learn today, but I did as a little kid watch the wide world of sports here in the U.S. and learn a little bit. And I can't even imagine being you know, the musher or on the pit crew, as you say. So you're going to tell us that. But before that, would you please you know, just introduce yourself, give us your short bio, um, let everyone get to know you. Absolutely. Well, it was 24 years ago. My husband, Hank DeBruin, and I quit our jobs, moved out of the city of the wilderness to turn our love for our huskies into a lifestyle, a business, and a dream. So, you know, we could have never guessed where Winter Dance Dog Sled Tours 24 years ago would take us, but... Now we welcome two to 3,000 guests every winter from around the world. We have four children. My husband and our dogs have run 6,000 mile races. And now we get to share our messages through our books and also speaking on stages around teamwork, leadership, challenges, and just oh, touch so many lives through our dogs. So it's it's been a magical journey. That That's incredible. And, and also you're an engineer by trade. We'll talk about that. Yeah. 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 But uh, tell us something that, um, you know, something we may not know about you. Share, share us, uh, share something we may not know. Oh gosh. Um, I guess I'll go back to early days. So, um, let's see something we grew up as farmers, both my husband and I, and I actually was a dairy princess way back in the day. So, uh, you know, promoted drinking milk and, and, uh, dairy farming. So that's something a lot of people don't know. Good skills to know, uh, you know, as you, as you navigate life and all that. All right. Take us back to engineering and how did you get involved with dog sledding? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a direct connection for sure, but I uh, always grew up loving environment, wildlife, nature. So my you know teenage brain thought, well, since I'm good at math and science, why don't I do an engineering degree? And then ultimately I'll go on to law and be an environmental lawyer. That was the plan. But sure. uh, the plan kind of derailed after I got the, the PNG because I decided that maybe working in corporate wasn't really what I wanted to do and being behind a desk wasn't where I was going to be happy. So... We got a husky shortly after we got married and gosh, fallen in love with her and got three more and tried dog sledding, fell in love with dog sledding. So at one point it's like, you know, we're not thrilled living in the city and each of us going in different directions. And one night on the phone, a friend said, why don't you turn your love for your dogs into a business? There was a lot in between, but that was, that was the seed. And it's like, gosh, like that would be amazing. And so now and you moved out of the six city, years then. later, here we are. Yeah. We moved out of the quit city. Quit our jobs, quit yeah. our jobs, rented our house. And uh, yeah, it was September 1st, 1999. We moved to the wilderness, 50 acres of wilderness. Nothing was here other than a driveway when we got here and had our first child a month after that. And, and winter dance and this crazy lifestyle was born. So it's uh, it's had a lot of challenges. I won't lie. You know, people often say you're, you're living our dream and 
And I'm like, well, you're seeing the glossy sections, you know, you're not seeing all the challenges. There was a lot, but wouldn't change it for, you know, anything in the world. Right. So, all right, let's, we're going to get back to um, family and business, but we got to get into the race. All right. So this is a competitive sport. All right. And there's a lot that goes into us. So take us in, you know, how you prep a team, how many, how many, how many dogs are on a team? So yes, absolutely. It's a huge undertaking. 16 dogs on an Adidas team. When we ran, they've reduced it a bit now. Um, But that was part of the dream when we moved you know, started our business too, was for Hank and our dogs to compete in the Iditarod. We figured it'd take three years to get there. It took 10, uh, but 2010, we finally were at the starting line in Anchorage. Two years it took just for Hank and the dogs to run the qualifying races to work up to where you could even, you know, be allowed to enter the Iditarod. The team will train on average 2,000 miles before they even leave for Alaska that fall and winter. And I mean, we try to prepare them for anything they could face in Alaska as best as we can, you know, not being in Alaska. And then there's the other side of it, all the logistics, because everything they're going to need for those two weeks has to be shipped out onto the trail for us even before the team left Ontario. So, you know, all the like, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know, because everything has to be there that the team could possibly need. So yeah, huge amount of training, time commitment, money commitment, logistical commitment. And then you're at the starting line in Anchorage, hoping that you've done everything right to get to the finish. And it's part survival. I mean, you're in there and and you never know what the outdoors is, uh, you know, and the environment is going to send you as well. And so the training is just intense, right? And and now divide up the roles. Hank was doing the the actual mushing. Is there one person or two Mm -hmm. people mushing? Yeah, it's only one person mushing. One person. So, and you know, you can't switch them out. So, whoever leaves the starting line is is the one who's with the team for the whole race. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he does he does the the mushing, the dog work, and you know, the rest of us do everything else that we possibly can, so that all he has to focus on is the dogs. And you're the and you told me you're the head of the pit crew, so that means you're managing everything else. <laughs> Well, thankfully, I have a lot of help, but yeah, sure. there's a lot that uh, that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, as as Hank always says, like there's no way you could do it on your own because you're just there's so much time training that there's no time to do all the other stuff that has to be done for the team to be successful. So it's it's definitely a team sport in every way, from dogs to people. Right, and so what are some of like the lessons that you've learned about mushing, and 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 then you turned it into a business, and then. I does does the lead dog get is there is there a special there's you don't not everyone gets to be the lead dog of the pack right what are some of the qualities you look for in a lead dog and then take me into the business yeah I mean a lead dog is is a special creature for sure and it's not so much us picking them it's it's them picking themselves you know when I speak to corporations I often say are leaders born or are they made and I always get various answers but in in our experience it's both uh, you know, some of our lead dogs, we've picked them out as puppies because they're the first to do everything. They're almost fearless. But other leaders don't become leaders till they're five, six, seven years of age. Uh, so we give the, the dogs the opportunity every year in training to be a leader if they want to be. And they tell us really quickly whether they have that desire or not. Once they do, then we team them up with our experienced lead dogs and they teach them even more, almost like a mentorship program. Um, but traits of a lead dog, my gosh. Um, passion, heart, intelligence, dedication. They just quit is not in their vocabulary. Curiosity to see what's around the next corner. 
and to be in charge of that team. I mean, because you can have a dog that has all those other traits, but if they don't want to be the first one in that team, they'll sit down and your team will go nowhere. So it's so important. And and the, every leader has different strengths. There's some of our lead dogs that are brilliant in storms and wind and crowds and mount. Like there's all these scenarios where just like people leaders, we all have our different strengths. Do you so, change them up during the race or no? Oh, you do change it, it them It depends up, on the depending dog. Depending on circumstance. Okay. Depending on the circumstances, depending on the dog. Um, we've had some leaders like Lily is the first one that comes to mind that she could lead in pretty much anything. And she would be upset if she was put further back in the team. Uh, now there's other dogs like Maverick, Spelly, Charlie, some of our other leaders, Strider, that have different strengths and, and they're completely fine with being lead or, you know, moving back and letting someone else lead for a time. So it's, it's just like people, so many personalities and the better you understand every single one of those dogs on your team, the better team you have. It, it's the difference between winning and even finishing, right? I mean, it's. It's the difference between finishing and not. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Or finishing, right. I mean, just, just finishing mm -hmm. is an accomplishment, of course. Um, how long is the race? Is it two weeks? A thousand miles. And thousand miles. the winner generally will do it nine days-ish. Um, the last place team usually is around 14 days. Okay. So now take, take me in. How does this become a business? <laughs> yeah, the business actually came first. So we we started Dog Slit Tour Business. And, and the goal was that the business would help fund the race team, which it, which it eventually did. Uh, so we teach people how to dog sled. I mean, people come literally from all over the world and we give them an instruction. You know, we teach them how to drive a sled, how to interact with their dogs. And then we take them out. We're very blessed to have 2000 acres of wilderness. Uh, we take them out dog sledding in the winter. So a guide goes with them on their own sled, but we try to make it as close to the real deal of dog sledding as we possibly can. And to get to share that with people, it's you know, just what people come away with and the stories they send us and the lives we get to touch from, you know, people with terminal illnesses to, you know, blindness. There's, just, there's so many disabilities and challenges that we've welcomed guests over the years. And, you know, we love all of our guests, but of course those stories just touch you even deeper when, uh, when you know the, the deeper meaning behind their visits. And, so and, that's, and that's how it started. Did the pandemic slow things down a lot or not so much? That's one way to put it. <laughs> oh, it, it really hurt. Uh, I mean, people weren't traveling. Remember, so I'm in Canada. I get into Canada. So, I mean, I was 15 uh, minutes from Canada and I couldn't get in. To, uh, yeah, I no, get it. So get that in. really hurt, huh? Yeah, it, uh, it hurt for sure. I mean, there was one winter we pretty much, I think we lost three quarters that winter just because of lockdowns. Um, but there's always silver linings, right? You know, better than anyone, Howard. So our, our silver lining one in, in that was how are we going to care for these dogs for the next year? And uh, we had done a little bit of speaking, but just one request it before that. And so we're like, well, speaking is one option. And we wrote our second book. So during the thousand miles got wrote that year and we started leaning heavier into speaking. And now it's become, you know, a huge part of our business, which without COVID, it probably never would have. And, uh, you know, just is such a joy to get to share our dogs with more people than we ever could just by welcoming people. Dog sledding. Yeah. And, and then uh, additional income source as well. So yes. how did you find time for four children? You, you you created a family and 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 tell me a little bit about your family and and that journey as well as as, as juggling that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you ever find time for a family. It's you decide you want to have a family and you know you have a family. So, uh, our first child was born, as I mentioned, Logan, a month after we moved here. We had no house at the time; we were building, so we lived in this dilapidated motor home, and that's what we brought him home to. 
the first winter, because our house still wasn't done, we decided to move into the kennel because the kennel was done. So that's where we spent our first year. And his first year was living with the dogs. So it, it was not perfect. You know, I would have never planned that. But life happens and you just work with it. So that was our first one. And then Dustin came along and then Michaela and Jessica. And yeah, it's, I get asked a lot, how did you build a business and a family? And I wouldn't say I did anything perfectly, but you just kind of give your attention where it's needed at the time. And the joy of our business was that being that we were a home-based business, kids were with us all the time. Uh, So yes, mom and dad were often busy, but they were busy with us. So it, you know, we always joke that they would grow up and be bankers and lawyers in downtown Toronto because we live such an unconventional lifestyle, but it doesn't seem at the moment that's happening. Uh, Our oldest son is a pilot. Um, Our second oldest one has his own diving business, underwater diving business. Um, So, so far anyway, they've taken very unique paths as well, just, I guess, out of what they saw with us do. But yeah, there's a way to make anything work if you're committed and dedicated enough and I can't imagine not having either the children or the business. But they grew up with the dogs. They grew up and they helped. Absolutely. They grew up, they helped with the dogs. Um, You know, they got to travel to Alaska with Hank and I, when he ran the Iditarod, they've been to Nome to watch their father cross the finish line. Um, You know, they've they've flown on bush planes through Alaska. Boys have been to the Hudson Churchill on the slow train to molasses that, that goes through Manitoba. I mean, they've had some very unique trips. They've, you know, not had the trips that a lot of kids have had as far as Caribbean and Mexico and stuff, but um, they've had some pretty unique travels out of it. And obviously life lessons around, you know, work and work ethic and setting goals and dreams and, and even failure. So what what are some of the, uh, some advice or lessons from, you know, the balance, which is sort of was immersed, the business and the family. Um, What are some, some takeaways from there? The one takeaway is I gave up on the word balance a very long time ago. Um, because I found there was no easy way to separate and, and boundary off anything because, you know, my office is in the house, the dogs and all our kennel is a hundred feet away. Um, our staff are in and out of the house and the kennel. So we just stopped trying. When we stopped trying, life got a heck of a lot simpler when we stopped saying there has to be boundaries. Um, you know, our, our staff who usually, you know, being adventure guides are in their twenties, uh, became like big brothers and big sisters to our kids, you know, as they grew up. And and now we're at the position where the kids are, you know, the same age as the guys and, and they're great friends. So, yeah, for us, I can't say that works for everyone. But for us, when we just let go of the boundaries and just went, you know, if we're loving what we do, whether we're with the family, with our customers, everybody's having a great time if you love what you do. And why do you have to have boundaries between everything? Yeah. So t- take me out on the course and... Give me some memorable moments from the race uh, time. Um, good and mm. good, challenging. Good and challenging. Yeah, the challenging ones are always what we end up talking about because they're the biggest lessons, right? But but the good ones, I'll, I'll start with them, is you meet so many incredible people, Howard. I don't know if you've been to Alaska or the Yukon. I, I have been to Alaska, but never to a race. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, once you get, well, not not even once you get off the main road, Alaska and Yukon just have incredible people, period. But when you get off the main highways in the backcountry, I mean, you get to meet people that don't see a lot of people. And, you know, as Hank will say, some of our best friends in the world are on those trails, even though we've only met them a handful of times. Um, Because when you live a lifestyle that very few people live, it just, it creates bonds so quickly. So, you know, just the 
friendships that are born on that trail are, you know, worth, worth all of the effort just to get there in and of itself. So that's certainly some of the beautiful moments, of course, the landscape. I mean, who can't think of Alaska and the Yukon without incredible landscapes and to get to travel through that for two weeks, even though it's winter and cold, you know, um, but Northern Lights, you know, Hank has stories and there one night in particular, the Northern Lights were stunning. We were just at the border of Yukon and Alaska, and he was probably 50 miles away from where my brother and I were waiting for him. And, you know, I remember looking up in the Northern Lights and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, we're 50 miles apart, but I know he's seen the same Northern Lights I am. And he tells the story of watching them and thinking, you know, Tanya Warder's seen these. And he said the dogs actually were running and watching the Northern Lights too. Uh, so, so many special memories, bonding times with our dogs. Um, spiritual moments, you know, come on that trail when you're out on your own for so long in the elements. Um, Hank doesn't talk a lot about them, but there are moments that are, you know, very, very precious that I don't know that you'd ever experience in the hub of life. I mean, you're stopping. For the is, he stopping is he stopping to rest the dogs and to eat and to, you know, give them? I mean, you have to plan this course out. That's up to oh, you absolutely. As, the, as the musher, right? To yeah. some extent, you plan. And then life happens, right? So and then it's what the we always go into yeah. exactly. So, but yeah, on average, the dogs rest the same number of hours that they run on the trail. Um, so even though the dogs are getting lots of rest, Hank has to care for them, of course, pack his sled, cook their next meal. So his first race, I think he figured he got between one and two hours of sleep a day. Uh, so by the end of it, I mean, mushers are like zombies, right? It's just like, what day is it? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's so much. Now, as, as he did more races, he got better. He probably got up to three to four hours of sleep a day um, just by getting more dialed into his routines and how to do things more efficiently. But it's it's a learning curve for sure. It's incredible. The biggest it's, challenges. Yeah, yeah no, the biggest ahead. challenges are our minds, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of people assume it's young dogs that run these races. And, and yes, there'll be some younger dogs in there, but those aren't your prime dogs. Your prime dogs are the five to nine-year-old dogs because it's a mental game, both for your musher and the dogs. It's, it's, I mean, obviously it's endurance, but it's way more a mental game and the dogs knowing they're going a long way and knowing how to, you know, kind of just, we're going to be doing this for days, guys. Like we're not going to put everything into the first day. Uh, that's something that only comes with age and experience. And also knowing how to lead and get through those tough times because uh, they'll run through storms, you know, where they literally can't see anything. Um, you know, they've had a river break up under them one year. Um, they've gone across the sea crossing where they couldn't see a thing. I mean, all those kinds of challenges without confidence in your leaders and your team and equally them having confidence in Hank, they'd never go anywhere. The one year they left Shack Tulip, which is right on the Bering Sea and the Iditarod to cross that section of sea ice. And it was a bad storm going and and it was the scariest section of trail for Hank to run. And as he said, they left the land behind when the wind hit them full. He couldn't even see the dogs. It was so bad. And he said, I got so fearful that his lead dog, who was Maverick at the time, and Maverick's the only dog we've ever had that can turn a team 180 degrees. He literally turned the team 180 degrees and he took them back into the checkpoint because as the lead dog, he's like, if you have that much fear, because of course dogs read our energy just like that, I'm not going any further. And there they sat for hours until Hank got his mindset right, got his confidence enough that they could do it. And the team headed out and, and that time they did manage to get across that stretch of ice. But 
you know, it's all the lessons that you hear about with people, but we learn it through our dogs, you know, trust, trust is so huge because without trust, there is no team. And literally, if you don't have trust in a dog team, they sit down and they quit. They're not going anywhere. Um, so yeah, so many, I could go on for two hours. I know we don't have two hours, Howard, but, um, so many stories on challenges and the lessons they've taught us. It's, it's beautiful because it's all about perseverance and, but the, there's so much that went into this, the training, the team, um, and the learning. I mean, again, it, it took them, it took you 10 years to, to finally actually get to the Iditarod and you had to earn your way on, um, and um, I, I imagine that there's separation between the different mushers and, you know, you're you're alone out there basically trying to trying to actually go at the, the fastest pace, but the say a safe pace, too, because a lot of issues dogs can get hurt. Right. I mean, you got what you said is 12 or 16 dogs on the team, 16 dogs on the Adidas team, dogs on when the we ran those two years. Yeah. And yeah. they got to eat because they need that energy to go. And then they're pulling through as well. Um, so this led to two books. And so yeah. uh, tell me about the first book. Give me the highlight reel on the Iditarod Dreamer. First book was our journey to our first thousand mile race. So it has a little bit of our, you know, our origin story of starting winter dance and, and takes us through the couple of years of, of all the races we had to run to get to the Iditarod. And then, you know, the joy and the excitement of actually being at the start of the Iditarod and what Hank and the team experienced along that trail. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get to finish our first Iditarod. So that book, you know, ends with the very tough non-finishing of that race and what that did to him. And then Journey of a Thousand Miles picks up where that one leaves off, you know, with, with that huge disappointment, that huge failure, and goes through our next thousand mile race, which was how we got through that devastation was we set a new goal. And that was, you know, the biggest lesson we learned out of that was Whenever life throws you <laughs> lemons, my gosh, who am I talking to? I don't need to tell you this, Howard. Uh, you got to set a new goal and find a way to keep going and get excited about life again, because that's what makes life magical again. So Journey of a Thousand Miles was our second thousand mile race, which Hank did finish. And just um, so many stories of him and the dogs and, you know, unique characters that we get to meet along the trail and and the challenges that they went through and, and how they dealt with them. So, yeah, those are the two books. And, and, and you the third retooled. One is in the works. Yeah, you retooled and regame planned. And you um, put forth, you know, uh, this, as you said, mental toughness, physical fitness, you needed the finances to move forward. And then you also had the faith to uh, incorporate the family into doing it. It's, it's actually an incredible story. Um, and I, I love the two books. I love the, the speaking. Um, and I, do all the dogs, you, you name them like family? I mean, you've got a big family now. We oh, do. do. Yes. It's a, it's a big deal when there's a little litter of pups and, you know, it usually takes us a bit to name them because everyone has to agree. And uh, we usually go with themes. So every litter is a theme and okay. yeah, so it's, it's a process, but everybody has names. Absolutely. So, I mean, and you're a breeder as well. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. Well, I, 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 I want to tell you, this is when I, when I first uh, got introduced to you, I, I didn't know much about, you know, dog sled racing, and about your company and you, and it's just fantastic because um, you actually do what 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 I do is that you actually go and you shed light on the world, and and you do it by raising your dogs, raising your family, finishing the race, okay, and being able to um, 
you know, meet the people along the way. It's just beautiful. And that's what sharing and shining your light is all about. So let's do that together. We're going to enter our shining brightly spotlight. We're going to put on our sunglasses for a second. And what I'd like you to do is tell people how to the best way to get a hold of you and then give me some final com comments and then you'll kick it back to me to, uh, to, to end the show. Absolutely. So winterdance.com is the best way for people to reach us. Uh, find email, social, everything there. Uh, or tanyamccready.com. That's more on our speaking and presentations and courses. Gosh, a couple of things to leave people with. I think the biggest one is if you have a dream and you want to chase it, then start chasing it. Nothing was ever perfect for Hank and I when we built Winter Dance, but you don't have to see the finish line when you start. You just have to see the next step. Because if you wait till you see the finish line, you're never going to start. And when you're on your way to that finish line, just taking one step after the other, that's when life gets absolutely magical. I love it. I will include in the show notes and in uh, the comments on all social media, uh, the website and how to get in touch with you and the books and also how to come visit you and uh, come up uh, as well, not just for training, but maybe for uh you want to come up and meet the pups and, and learn about it as well. Get away. So I, I it's just a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing. Keep inspiring. Um, I uh, Next time I want to have you back. I want Hank. I know he's training. So but we'll get him on here because I, I want to hear Absolutely. from uh, from from your lead dog <laughs> as well. Uh, hear from him as well. So um, you can always reach me at shiningbrightly.com. Uh, you can learn more about my my speaking and the book, of course, and the pot, this podcast and my advocacy work in entrepreneurship, in uh, cancer advocacy and in interfaith relations. And just remember, if we choose to shine brightly a little bit each day for ourselves, for others and our communities, the world will be a better place. Thank you again, Tanya. What a great um, podcast you, show. Mary. And um, we'll share this widely. And, um, you know, I got it. I I want to actually get behind there and, and go on a training run as well. You'll teach me how to do it. So absolutely. Uh, thank you. And, uh, and, and keep shining brightly. You too, Howard. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shining Brightly with me, Howard Brown. Come interact with me at shiningbrightly.com. And remember, keep on shining.